This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Kia ora and welcome to Creatively Wired. This broadcast is on Free FM 89.0 and is also available wherever podcasts are found. Creatively Wired is a moment in time where we chat with artists about what makes them tick. We will explore the way they work, what they are thinking about, and the many varied nuances of the creative process. Make yourself comfortable and let's have a chat with some awesome people who are creatively wired. Welcome to another episode of Creatively Wired. Um, as always, I'm joined by Paul Bradley, and today uh, we have an extra special guest, or well, extra, special, extra special to me. Uh, we're joined by my wife, Courtney Mayle. Courtney uh, has a varied background. She's primarily known as a singer in musical theatre, but her creative practice extends back over many years, including a special effects makeup here. Um, set design, costume design, voice acting for educational projects, uh, short film things, all manner of different creative practice, um, working as a an actor, performer, writer, director. But I'll let Paul start <laughs> off with a question because otherwise it will get weirdly awkward. <laughs> well, welcome, Courtney. Um, it's great to have you here. Um, maybe just like just to get us sort of started, um, a little bit about how you got into all the stuff that you you're into, particularly into your how how did you get into um, singing and theatre? Okay, uh, so I didn't really grow up um, with lots of arts in my life. My high school, um, I'm from Australia, and my high school was uh, very sports and science orientated, and that's what I was known for. I was voted even most sporty in my year at school. Wow. Um, but our drama department had about three people, and the school band had about two people. So um, I wasn't really exposed um, to a lot of performing arts. So I left school and did hospitality management, um, and I moved to New Zealand to help run um, a pub for six months and sort of to see New Zealand and travel around. And while I was here, I thought, I need a career change. And I looked into special effects makeup because Lord of the Rings and being in New Zealand was a big thing, and that sort of um, piqued my interest. And I thought, that's something that I'd really love to do. So I found a course, and I studied special effects makeup, and I went on to um, doing my hairdressing and that um, sort of thing, which coincides with that. Um, and got interested and involved with uh, short films and doing makeup and things for that, which I loved. And then I got involved with um, a local theatre production who asked for someone to come along and do uh, makeup for the production. Mm -hmm. um, and then I thought, oh, yeah, sure, why not? This sounds, you know, it's another skill to put in my belt. Um, I ended up loving um, being in that theatre environment. Uh, and it was actually one night... When I was packing up my things and cleaning up, I was singing to myself and the director sort of popped in and she goes, darling, I didn't know you could sing. You need to audition. So a couple of weeks later, I auditioned for the next show and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and that was probably 13, 14 years ago now. Um, I auditioned and I got in. And yeah, from there, I've just, I've been involved with 
um, musical theatre ever since. Uh, and I've just really learnt along the way. It's sort of that learn as you go and on the job. And people sort of look a bit startled when I'm like, I used to be rubbish <laughs> at what I did. But I've really sort of fine-tuned, like any art, you sort of um, fine-tune yourself and learn on the job and mm. learn from your mistakes and that sort of thing. So that's that's basically how I got into it all, was um, just by a happy accident, I guess. Um, but I've loved it. And I, I wish I had the opportunity to do it at school or when I was a young person or even be exposed to more of that. Um, because, gosh, I, I would have loved to have had a few more years under my belt than I already do. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I love that um, dressing room story of someone <laughs> overhearing you sing because it's just yeah. it's like a classic movie scene. Yeah, yeah. It was That's just, brilliant. Yeah, it was pretty surreal. Um, yeah, no, it was fun. <laughs> so, so what is it, uh, do you think, about um, theatre, uh, and particularly musical theatre, that is, what, what is special about that? Like, what, what was it about that environment or what was happening that made you go, this is what I want to be involved in? So I think because I started backstage... Um, a lot of actors don't, or perform on stage performers don't um, have experience backstage or side of stage, um, whatever you'd like to call it. Um, and to see it from that perspective, and it's like a well-oiled machine. And if one of the cogs isn't working quite well, then um, everything for everyone on stage doesn't work quite as well, um, just because they're the people not seen in the spotlight uh, and not getting the applause at the end of the show from the audience. You tend to forget about them because they don't come out and take a bow. Um, people doing costumes and wigs and set moving and all of that sort of thing. Um, so I think I really loved that family type community vibe of it. Everyone has to work together. And for me, being coming from a sports background, I really liked having that team environment. Um, and then just to be involved with it on stage was a whole nother level of challenge, which again, I think it's from being sort of competitive sportswoman. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jeremy's laughing because he knows how competitive I am. It was a really nice challenge for musical theatre, not just sort of that straight theatre for me because it's the singing, the acting and the dancing and combining them seamlessly. And it's a challenge to get them all, you know, bending over backwards while singing a high note and acting in your character as well. It's like a nice physical and mental challenge, which I personally really enjoy. And then obviously that community team aspect. Um, it's, yeah, it's a big machine working together. Everyone has to play a part. It's not just you. Um, if you're not a team player, that's when it sort of turns to custard. So I, I quite like that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there are aspects of it that were familiar to you, even though it was yeah. a totally different Yeah, format. I think I think art, especially performing arts, there's so many similarities to sports because um, I know that it's quite, you know, sports and arts. <laughs> it's like a bit of a showdown between the two, but there's so many um, similarities between the two, especially performing arts in that sense. Um, rehearsals are like trainings. Um, your team, your production team and cast are like your sports team on the field and you've got to prepare for game day and um, it's a mental thing, it's a physical thing, um, it's really tough on the body, you know, lots of injuries and you've got to look after yourself health-wise. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it's lots of similarities um, and your uniform's your costume, so, you know, it's... <laughs> right. Yeah, for me, I, I just, yeah, it's all the ticking the boxes and you get to be creative. And I think sometimes in the arts, you forget that sports can be creative as well because you need to think on your feet um, and improvise and um, watch what's happening in the gameplay, the same as 
when you're on stage, someone might forget a line, so you have to improvise. They might toss you the ball and it's not usually your turn, you know, and so you've got to be improvising. So for me, um, yeah, it's, it's very similar. Yeah, but I think, I don't know, more people need to realise how similar they are and sort of the two little separate networks can support each other a little bit more, hopefully in the future. <laughs> yeah, it's often... Uh, it's a funny one, isn't it? Often they're sort of pitted against each other. Well, actually, I yeah. think more accurately in New Zealand and particularly in the Waikato, all the sports people don't even think about the arts, but mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sadly for us. Yeah. So from an arts point of view, we're often like, why do they get all that funding? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why do they get all that attention? <laughs> yeah, I, I, it'd be nice for them to um, acknowledge or just um, realise that we're actually more more similar than, unless you're sort of shown and been told those similarities, you don't necessarily just think of them yourself because it's that mindset, especially in music, it's like sports or arts. Um, yeah. And mm. it would be great for sports people to come along. And I know sometimes we do have some guys in our cast who haven't done a show before and they've been roped into it, um, who play rugby and things like that. And they're like, wow, this is harder than what we do, you know, when it comes right. to the dancing and um, just the hours that we put in. They're like, wow, this is even harder than a you know, a training session. Yeah, because yeah. the, the, the rehearsal schedules are intense, right? For a... Yeah, yeah. So um, generally it's like th three or four rehearsals a week, um, but you're looking anywhere between um, three to ten hours for rehearsals, depending on the day. Um, yeah, sometimes you have dance weekends, so you're getting in 18 hours of dance over two days and you end up feeling quite ill at the end of it because you've exerted yourself so much. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. over months as well. Yeah, yeah, over usually three or four months at a time. Yeah. yeah, and then if you're rehearsing for different shows at the same time, you're doubling up as well. So some weeks you might have eight, nine rehearsals and you've got to put your hats, different hats on for different shows and remember which parts are for which. And <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's like that mental thing and... Um, yeah, it's which is hard for a lot of people, especially when they do have families um, and nine-to-five jobs and you're going from work straight to the theatre and then you get home at 11 o'clock at night and then you've got to get up the next day and do your nine-to-five and get back to the theatre. So basically you don't see your family when a show season's on for three, four weeks. Um, you're just in and out and people have their clothes in the back of the car and they shower at the theatre. and Wow. Yeah. <laughs> food in the fridge and they basically live there and yeah but it just shows how much passion people have um because we have such a large community still even though of all of the um the blocks in place I guess to to do it for these people to sort of put their time out um to do these things uh yeah it's really good to see but more support for the community would be amazing obviously mm. <laughs> I'm really interested in the, what the creative process is for me because I'm, this is kind of an alien world to me. I've been audience member, but in terms of what happens as, uh, as a performing arts person, what's your creative process? So you're, you're, once you've auditioned and you've been assigned your role and then they hand you your script, hmm? what, do you, what happens then? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so generally before you audition, you learn quite a lot of material anyway because right. you want to be prepared because basically you need to beat everyone back for the parts you want. <laughs> um, so once you, once you get 
cast in a role. You do get your script and your music and everything like that. Um, basically, you go into rehearsal, music rehearsals generally first, and you learn all of the um, vocal parts and the arrangements of the music. Um, sometimes that coincides with the choreography, with the dancing, um, because they're sort of part and parcel. Um, people struggle sometimes with having to sing and dance at the same time because you're trying to learn the choreography, but then you have to also be learning the words and the lyrics and the melodies and harmonies of what you're singing at the same time. So they try and put that together. So usually um, it's three or four weeks focused on each. So it's sort of like your six to eight week block um, of music and dance. Mm -hmm. And then you go into what's called blocking um, and that's with the director. Um, that's basically when he blocks out how he wants the scenes to be or she I say he or she, um, that the director wants uh, it to be. Um, so that's when the lines come in and where your movement is on stage. Um, and that's when sometimes things change because the choreography doesn't quite work seamlessly in and out of those same, um, scenes. So that all happens. And then it's just running it over and over and over again mm. until it's muscle memory. Yep. Um, yeah, until you basically get to the show and then you're doing it over and over and over again, ready for an audience. Um, but, yeah, generally it's 12 to 14 weeks of rehearsals. Um, yeah. But there's a process individually as well, eh? We, like yeah. if you've got a character, there's work that you're doing outside of yeah. those con. So rehearsal um, isn't isn't for learning your part. Mm. Um, sometimes you can develop your character depending on what the director is wanting you to do in the scene and that's where you can work on your development, your personal development for characterisation. Um, but, yeah, there's lots of work that you have to do outside of those rehearsals. So it's not just those hours that you're putting in as a team. Um, you also have to do your individual work as well. So whether that's going over your own um, singing parts at home, running through dances so you're not sort of lagging behind in the group um, and also lines, they, you have to learn your lines in your own time ready for blocking um, because you can't move around with a script in your hand. I know that's how you sort of see it happen on shows and movies where they walk around rehearsing scenes with their script in their hand, but um, that's generally not the thing to do because you can't actually move properly with your character holding a large wad of paper in their hand. Mm. <laughs> um, so you need to be sort of off script during the rehearsal process. Um, yeah, so you've got a quick turnaround basically to memorise what you need to do um, and also work on your character and your own development, especially even things with dancing. You learn the moves, but then you have to dance as your character. So you'll learn the moves as yourself, sort of a bit robotic in a way, um, and then you need to work in the factors like, does your character have a limp? Do they Are they a little bit grimy or on the street? So, you know, like they might have a bit of a hunch or, you know, those types of things. And then you need to relearn that dance as your character. So it's all that sort of stuff that you tend to do in your own time because there's just not that rehearsal time to do that. Yeah. And what does and what that process look like? That's, what, that's sort of what, that's one thing that really fascinates me is like, say if you've got a script, it's like you're a grumpy old woman or something like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how do you then kind of really embody that character in a way that's going to be convincing on stage well um this is this is really interesting to me um the process because everyone's process is different um and I acknowledge that um 
and I'm sort of of the school of thinking that no way is right or wrong. Mm. Um, for me, um, I guess I take more of an analytical approach to it. Um, I've seen too many actors get too emotionally invested in characters and it's um, to play especially the harder characters if it's a little bit more of a hard-hitting type of narrative um, and character um, they get too deeply involved with that and it really affects them on a personal level and they can't leave that at the theatre door mm. and they take that with them in their da daily um, life basically so whether their character might be depressed or Right. Um, that sort of thing. They and then they, they, they start to feel that themselves and they take it on and it's just a really unhealthy way um, and not sustainable for an actor to do that because it's just emotionally draining. Mm. Um, so for me, I like to be a little bit more analytical in my thinking. So I just switch it on and off. Um, I guess that's the easiest way of talking about it. I, um, I'm a little bit of a robot in that way. <laughs> I just program it in. So for me, I take a character, just say a grumpy old woman. Um, I just think, why is she grumpy? Where has she been? Um, if the script doesn't allude to a backstory, um, I just generally sort of think that up for myself and mm -hmm. make that narrative, uh, narrative up for myself. But generally, you can go through, I've done scripts where I've read through and I'm like, oh, actually, it's written in this way. So it must be this sort of accent or they're a little bit um, not as polished because of some of the language that's been used in the script. So you actually go back again and reread it with that in mind and you can sort of think, oh, okay, maybe they're from lower economy sort of, you right. know, like so or like from the streets. Clues. So Yeah, those mm. little clues and like what they're saying and their responses to the other characters um, because it's all there in the script but you just sort of need to read between the lines and say, mm. why are they saying that? Um, so it's like quite a bit of research and you have to go back over it and you need to read what's happening for the other characters too. It's not just what you're doing and where you fit in and what your um, role is in the story. Generally, there's not too many characters that are there just because. Um, not your main characters anyway. Um, generally, someone has a part to play in the progression of the story. So you need to think, why am I there? What do I need to achieve in this story? Um, so for me, I just think of those things. And then emotionally to deliver that character, um, rather than thinking back to unhappy thoughts, if I need to cry or anything like that, I think of the muscle memory of those feelings. So rather delving into and making myself actually upset from mm. a personal um, situation, I just think of how you physically feel, not emotionally feel in those things. So um, generally if you cry, you get all the sensations in your face and that sort of thing. I just think of that rather than, but that's my process, um, the same as any emotions, excited, happy, um, scared. I just think of the more of the physical response rather than the emotional response. Mm, that's um, super interesting. And yeah, that way you're not sort of... Um, setting yourself up for <laughs> yeah, that emotional turmoil. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, but I think that's, that's, again, that's just another practice. Everyone has their own thing. And I've just learnt along the years that that's really sustainable for me because I just walk off, as soon as I'm off the stage out of people's eye line, I'm, I'm me again. Yeah. And then when I walk on, I don't have to stay in that 
zone for the whole show or for that whole season. I'm just on and off um, as I need to be for scene to scene. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the most ex- extreme cases, I've heard of actors that people say they don't actually have their own personality, that they, yeah. <laughs> that they, will, they just take on the personality of whatever role they've got at the time and no yeah. one really knows who they are as a person separate from that, which is yeah. intense. I do take on little parts of roles, um, but generally it's like if my character's a little bit more confident, I just tend to strut around a little bit more just because I've got that air of confidence about me at the time. Um, but, yeah, nothing to it. To right. extreme, yeah. So but you, but you do, but you do take on some of the traits of your character. But that's like anything socially. If people are gathering together and you're with a new group of friends, you tend to most people will take on little bits of traits from the people around them. Yeah. Um. So it's just that it's human nature. You sort of mimic what's around you a little bit, um, to certain degrees. So I guess it's that same sort of thing. But instead, you're hanging out with your character rather than another person. So you're sort of taking on some of those traits um yeah like you do with friends or yeah social groups yeah <laughs> and maybe some feel safer to take with you like being say yeah. being like really confident that's a safer one to take with you yeah. than say being depressed or something yeah yeah and that's um i think it's really important as an actor to really be self-aware um of your emotions and of of yourself and and why you react to things um i think that sort of makes you somewhat of a better actor too if you can sort of delve into your own work out who you are as a person um and then you're sort of um it's easier to detach to detach from the characters because you um are really stable in who you are um yeah but again that's just something that you learn and as people grow like and get older that's another you learn who you are and Mm. um yeah, and some people don't. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but it seems like the skill of being able to leave your act, your character behind and transition back into being Courtney. Yeah, but that would also be a similar skill to making sure that you're not bringing Courtney onto the stage that you're actually being that that yeah. character, right? Because that, I imagine that that's a challenge as well as like all day <laughs> I've been this person and now I have to be this person. I have to really make a clear distinction. Yeah. So, um. You tend to see, like, in some actors, it's like, oh, it's that actor playing themselves in a role. And we see that in movies, you know, some of them. It's always that type of actor. But with any character, you need to bring a little bit of yourself with that. Um, I think it gives an authentic um, delivery of a character because if you're nothing but a facade of... um, I don't know, if you're just all character with no sort of real qualities to it, um, it's a little less realistic, I guess. Um, right. It just brings that authentic delivery where it's just a little bit of you in there because you're still reacting how you think the character would react. Um, like it might. But it's just, just, just like a little bit of that realness to the stage, but it's being able to gauge that so you're sort of not doing you over and over again. Yeah. So having a like... <laughs> So it uh, it sounds like you need to have lived life to have had a range of experiences to be able to link back to without necessarily calling on them directly. But if you haven't had a range of experiences in life, it can be harder to manufacture those feelings and emotions. I think so. I think, yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. And that's another thing with just, yeah, living life, experiencing things, um, 
yeah, and getting and getting older, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's one thing that I think that you get noticed for a lot on stage is the malleability of your voice. Like you, when you play different characters, they have fundamentally different sounds to them. What what is that process? So that's something I'm super passionate about. Um, it's one of my pet peeves is when you watch a production and someone's talked in an accent or a character voice and then when they're singing, they're no longer, they're using their own singing voice and it doesn't actually translate and it just doesn't give um, continuity through the production because it's quite jarring when you hear this character, especially if it's quite a characterised speaking voice and then they're starting to sing and it's a, I don't know, a New Zealand accent and it's quite operatic or, you know, something like that. Um, so for me, I when I go through the process of character voices, because it's something that I like to do, um, I read the script and I find a voice that I want to use and then I try and sing the songs in that same voice. If I can't because of the um, range of the song or anything like that, I find a compromise. So by the time I'm rehearsing, I've found a voice that I can actually speak and sing in because I like that to sort of continue through my performance um, because I don't want it to be the character and then Courtney Mayo singing the song in the middle of the production because I'm not the character in there. So um, for me, voice work, um, I've, I think I've done it ever since I was a kid. I've always played with my voice. Um, and a lot of people have asked, how do you um, get these character voices and things like that? But it's just playing with my voice and working out what I can do. And I'm making sounds every day and practicing like you do with anything, um, any type of art. Um, it's like mixing colours with paint, I guess. It's you find different things by just playing around and you think, oh, I love that and I can use that for something in the future or um, that's the same with voices. I'm like, oh, that voice is cool. Oh, that would be cool. I'm going to file that away in my voice bank. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's really important to have those character voices um, and performances. And, yeah, I, I have been known – most people don't realise what productions I've been in because they don't recognise me after shows and they're like, oh, have you been in anything? And I'm like, yeah, I was in this and this and this. And they're like, I saw all of those and I've never noticed you in them. It's because I really change up my character to suit um, mm. the production. I, I, I take pride in that um, sort of jumping into that character and using different voices. So one day I might sound more classical, the other one might be rock or, yeah, and I try and find all those nice different voice qualities. But, yeah, again, it's just... It's just practicing and, and being bold and just taking risks and trying new things. And if it doesn't work, then it's not the end of the world. It might work for something else in the future. Um, yeah. There's also kind of a physical awareness of what is happening in your instrument as such that helps you to be able to do that. And that, like, you're very conscious of the way that you can manipulate the sound in your voice and head to find different things. So, like, the flick between high and low is quite easy and the, uh, yeah. Yeah, so that's just, that just comes with practicing, like sitting there and just making weird sounds and feeling where it's sitting and, and how it feels physically and how to get there consistently and what I can do with um, those voices once I'm there. And it's just, 
it's just basically playing around. Um, it's quite fun for me because I can do it while I'm in the shower or while I'm cooking dinner or, um, yeah. And I've always loved trying to make new sounds with my voice. Um, yeah, but, but with that just comes with awareness. You can't just um, do it in a day. It didn't take me a day to sort of get it. It's come with lots of years of practice and becoming bolder as I've learnt more about my instrument um, and just movement of muscle or face or... Um, which it all is, yeah, yeah. And so, outside of your work as a performer, which um, th there's a whole kind of range of other things that you've done, um, and it seems that there is a you have a, a an ability to kind of visualise things and work creatively to kind of cr to, to make things happen. So, I mean, thinking way back to the um, New Zealand Body Art Awards. <laughs> so a few years ago. <laughs> yeah. What, what is the process of that? Because, I mean, you, you'll say, oh, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a painter, I, I can't paint on, on a canvas, but you can paint on a human body and a, a sculpted mask and, and create this thing that wins awards. What, what is that? How does that work? Um, I think I, I do have that strong skill of vis, uh, visualisation, um, whether it's for performing or for physically creating something. So for the Body Art Awards, um, I find it a little bit easier to work in that 3D um, when I can use my hands and I can actually feel out where I want things to be, um, where I s tend not to have the ability to... Um, be able to translate that onto a 2D picture. Um, I don't know whether, because I, maybe I could with time and practice, but I just, um, it doesn't appeal to me, to be honest. Um, I'd rather work on that 3D. And um, I like to visualize how things work with movement. Um, I like the challenge of that, especially with makeup, because you have to, work with the body and how it moves and the shadows change um, and that sort of thing. And, and I, think it's, I think it's all stemmed from this little inner character visualisation and building um, for body art awards and special effects makeup. You're building these characters and usually they're not human or, um, but you're building these characters and you show backstory and um, even without having a story behind them. Um, so if they've quite aggressive and they've been in fights, you give them some scars and it's stuff that people wouldn't necessarily pick up on, but if they weren't there, they wouldn't tell a story. Mm. Um, so I tend like to, yeah, I like to incorporate that into all of them. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I just find it easier to work on 3D, but I think it's that visualisation. It's the same as when I um, think about sets and things like that. It's about how people move around them and what they bring to a stage or, yeah, anything like that. Mm. So it's that same interest in character as well, like <clears throat> telling those stories and looking as in the same way you might look for little clues in the script. It's like looking for clues in that character that can then manifest as a scar or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think it always just gives a little story and it's like those things with, um, same with acting, the things you do, people might not necessarily go, oh, yeah, you did that thing, that was great. But if you didn't do it, there'd be something sort of missing. 
but because you do it, it doesn't necessarily stand out, but it brings it all together as a more um, robust piece of work. Um, mm. So it's all those little things that people might not necessarily even see or realise, but the brain and the eyes are still seeing it, um, but they're just not necessarily knowing that they're seeing it, but it's all coming together and building a picture in their, in their brain as they receive all that information visually or um, audibly or... Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always think things should be purposeful. Um, so when I am designing anything, I like to think of function first. What does it need to do? Um, so whether it's for a body art competition, what are my, you know, how much percentage of the body needs to be painted and, you know, all those sort of guidelines and um, or the function of a set, what does it need to do? Do they need to step on something? Do they need to climb something? And I think, okay, that's what it needs to do. Now how do I work around everything else? Um, and then build it from there because I quite like that functionality first so rather kind of than trying to build it in later. <laughs> the form follows function kind of idea. Of, yeah. 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 Um, and it's the same with budgets. Um, arts tend to be very low in budgets. So rather than trying to create something that looks high budget um, with a low budget, it tends to look low budget. Um, I always keep that in mind and think, okay, I don't have much of a budget, so I'm going to design it from materials that I can afford um, rather than trying to achieve whatever the norm might be for that production. I'm going to go in and do it like this stylistically so it doesn't actually, people don't even think it looks low budget, it just looks the way it should look um, and use that um, as another guideline. That's the functionality. I might have $100 to build a whole set so, you know, that's what it's going to be. But I use materials that I know I can source or... Yeah, I just think of all of those things when I'm actually designing. I think a lot of the time people design it and then they try to achieve that at the end. Then they put the budget or that sort of thing in at the end um, where I like to know that from the start so I can design all of it with that in mind so you actually get a better presented product at the end because mm. you're not trying to catch up with your design. You can feel when it when it falls short sometimes, I think. Yeah. Uh, when that is aiming for something and not getting there. So sometimes yeah. the honesty of mm. something, you know, being what it is is yeah. more compelling. Yeah. It's consciously working within limitations to achieve, like, the, the best possible version of a thing within a whole bunch of creative limitations. Yeah, and I think, too, when you design things, um, you get a little bit attached to them and you get really happy with your design. And then if you have to pair that back or not be able to achieve what you want to achieve after you've already designed it, it's quite heartbreaking and you get a little bit <laughs> rageful about it or, you know, and you try and hold on to your design with as much, you know. But I think if you design it with all of those limitations in mind first, you're not going to have this design that's not achievable at the end. You're going to actually be able to achieve your design goal because you've already had those limitations before you've started the design. So for me, I think that's really important just for my own like sanity as well. Um, and I just think it makes for a better production at the end um, because you've actually designed around those limitations. Mm. Yeah. And do those limitations encourage creativity for you? If you've only got $100, it's like you have to be pretty creative about how you put together something on that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually really enjoy it. Um, 
I think some of it comes from doing special effects makeup for short films. Um, they tend to not have big budgets um, and they want some pretty crazy stuff. So you learn how to use what's around you um, and sort of doing it on the cheap but still wanting to do a really good job. Uh, so I, recently I just designed a set in costumes for a, um, for a show and there wasn't much of a budget for set and things. So I made it needed to be a tree that people sat in. Um, and they wanted branches to go out over the audience. So you can sort of... Oh, wow. Um, so I was like, okay. And it was a kid's story. So I thought, how do I, um, how do I design myself around this? People need to sit in it. I need branches. What am I going to do? I made the whole thing out of brown paper. Um, I used the fact that stylistically it looks like it was out of a storybook. Um, and then the costumes, because I designed those as well, I made it all look quite crafty, um, almost like a, some of the kids' shows that you see on, on TV, like with collage type effects of paper and material that they've used for animation. I sort of went along those lines. So I used paper, um, yeah, and it was really easy because we only had a day to install it too, so that was another limitation, so something that could go up quite quickly. Um, yeah, and it ended up really, people loved it. Um, they didn't think it looked like it was trying to be something else. I didn't hide the fact it was paper. Mm. I just went with the idea, and it, and it was great. Um, and it was a good challenge because I thought, what can I make <laughs> this big, big tree in the theatre out of that's not going to cost much money at all? And I thought, paper. I'm going to do it out of paper. That's awesome. Yeah. So as a, as a process for that, do you start drawing trees first or do you make little do you start playing with paper and making little models um, I tend happen? to sort of just sketch it out um, but again because I'm not very good at that drawing the sort of 2D on paper usually it's all up in my head but I do sketch it out just so people can sort of see what I'm trying to get at before they give me the go ahead <laughs> to go crazy um, yeah but again I always start with that base model so because people had to sit in the tree there was obviously the safety issue um so I had to work around having the supports behind um and what was safe in the theater so I had to work around having people up on risers and with some poles and things like that so I had to sort of put that in the design and then use that around it a lot of it I do is just a little bit organic at the end but generally I have a plan in my head how it's all going to execute um again because I'm quite an analytical thinker um I tend not to leave lots of things up to chance. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so a lot of what happens in musical theatre, um, particularly in, in New Zealand, is, is redoing shows that have happened overseas because people want to see and experience those things. Um, and you've done a lot of that. But also more recently you've been getting into writing, co-writing um, and Telling original stories, what what is that process, and how is it the same or different to kind of what you've been working on previously? Um, I'm still somewhat new to writing, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. Um, so I really like the process of co-writing. Um, uh, I'm involved with the group Hood Street Fishing Club, and uh, we've just written our second show, um, which we haven't staged yet. Um, but that's really good. There's a group, there's me and three others in that group. 
Um, we all have our strengths and weaknesses, um, and I really like working as a group, especially because I'm still new to that writing. Um, and I think it makes for a better product if you have four differing views, if you can all come together and agree on something, it tends to be um, the best idea <laughs> if all four different people have agreed that that's good content. Um, so I really like that. I have written a show by myself. Um, I found that really difficult because I had no one sitting there validating or um, disagreeing with me on things. So I'm like, is it good because I think it's good? Do I need someone to tell me that it's not good so I can approach it again? So I found that hard, um, I think, because still I'm quite fresh to the whole writing thing. Um, but when I am writing, because I've got the performance and design and that sort of thing behind me, I tend to think of everything as a whole. So when I'm writing a script, I think of how it works with set design and for the performers um, and how it actually works mechanically as a staged show as well so um yeah I always like to think of that big picture and not just what I'm doing it's the same with if I'm doing set I think of how that works in with the story character how it works from the story and even with writing when you are creating the story how all those elements can actually help achieve what you're doing and if you know that you're not going to have a big budget for the show that you're writing for um working in ways of still again having that budget in mind to start with and then working the script around those budget requirements um, because then you're not trying to achieve something crazy and you're not going to quite get there and it's not you know going to quite achieve what you need it to achieve. Again, you can make it quite a cool production um, if you've already got that in mind. But, yeah, um, yeah, writing's, writing's still a, a difficult thing and I'm still learning um, – yeah, <laughs> I don't really have a process yet that I've worked out for myself um, and it's still something Yeah, I'm coming to terms with. I don't know if I necessarily enjoy writing by myself. I don't think it's something that I'm going to do a lot of, um, but maybe that will come with time, the more sort of experience I get as collaborating with people and that sort of thing. But I do, I do like that group effort um, just because I think it makes for a better pro project because you've got four or five voices um, in, a, in a story rather than just my own or just one voice. You're getting lots of sides of the story and it comes together. And I just think it just makes a stronger product at the end. But that's just me. Um, some people are amazing at writing by themselves. So, <laughs> Well, I think that comes back to what you talked about in the beginning around musical theatre being a a community mm. and a family and a team and, and that link to team sport. And so you've got this, this team of people who you know and respect and trust and you work together and you fight, but you come out with this <laughs> thing that is, is interesting and, and you have a space to rely on one another to make things. And I guess that, that seems to be a kind of through line in, most yeah. of the things that you've and and too with a group you've got people from everyone's lived different lives we're all from different backgrounds um different ages different genders you know so we've all got that different perspective um so we might 
all have a shared experience um, with something or can relate to an experience that we might be writing about, but we all come from it from different angles. So it's really nice to be able to put that into a story. So when your audience is watching um, whatever scenario or situation, you're actually getting some of that little bit of voice from all of those backgrounds. So you tend to hit um, on the audience a little bit more than you would if it was just from one perspective. Um, yeah, you sort of have a bigger range of being able to relate to the audience than you would. Mm. I might only get a quarter of the audience relating to how I tell that story, but with four or five voices, you might be able to touch upon 90% of the audience to relate to what you're um, bringing with that yeah, the perspective of it. And I just think that's really important um, because I don't want to just appeal to my to the audience that may see things from my perspective. I'd rather um, engage 90 to 100%, hopefully, of an audience, yeah. I can see that that would really help with the character development as well. If you've got, as you say, a, a diversity of people writing, but they've also had a diversity of experiences with you know all sorts of people in their lives, that, that's all stuff that could be, could yeah. kind of add texture to those and depth to those characters. Especially when we're writing quite character-based um, performance stuff. Um, yeah, like I don't necessarily know all the people personally in our shows, but one of us has met or knows of someone like that in their lives, and so we can actually draw on the stories about that person and um, that sort of thing. So it just gives us a broader range of personalities and characters and traits that we've all somewhat experienced <laughs> within our lives. What is um, being involved in productions and writing shows, what has that taught you about people? <laughs> Either through developing characters or working alongside people? Um, I've always tend to, um, I'm one of those people that will sit back and I'm sort of a people watcher. Um, I like seeing how people move and how they respond to things. So that's just one of my little weird things that I like to do. So for me, I'm, I like to think that I understand people um i don't know how to sort of say that right but um <laughs> um yeah i like to study people i'm a people studier <laughs> <laughs> so for me I don't, I don't know um that's just me i'm not sure about others um again that's just how my brain works um i know a lot of creatives don't tend to look at things quite in a as analytically as me, um, but whether that's because I've come from um, more of that science and maths type subjects growing up and things that I loved, um, whether I've come from that sort of thing. Um, some people say I'm a little bit of a robot, so maybe that's I just process information like that and I sort of file it away, whether it's about people around me. Yeah. Hmm. So a lot of the work that you are perhaps known for as comedy. Do you prefer comedy over drama or is it just a coincidence that there's been a lot more comedy roles? Um, I like comedy because who doesn't like comedy? Like everyone likes to laugh and it's lighthearted and um, I find it easy. I, like I tend to use comedy um, if I'm feeling a little awkward or out of sorts. I use comedy as my like sort of defence mechanism. So um if I'm feeling a bit 
awkward in a social situation, I'll try and crack a joke or two and <laughs> get everyone laughing. Um, I do really like drama, but again, it's, it depends on the story for me. Um, but I do tend to get lots of the comedy roles because they are loud and brash. And there is timing involved with comedy, which some people, it takes a little time to get that timing right. Um, for me, I just, I've always sort of been a bit of a goofball, I guess, um, and I've liked that. Um, and I understand how that timing works and why it's important on stage. Um, but I would like to do more sort of serious, <laughs> dramatic roles, but because um, at the moment, like, yeah, there's not a lot of women locally at the moment that um, can do the more character-based acting, which that's what they sort of call it as the the character parts, um, where it's a bit more loud, brash voices. And it's usually the comedic parts that are those. Um, so I tend to get them just out of default that there's not many other women locally that... But they're also fun roles. They are really fun, but sometimes I... Um, but now I've done so many of them, it's not as much of a challenge... So I'd love to just, you know, put on my serious face and be dramatic for a little little while. Um, but, yeah, but, again, I'm just happy to be part of productions if I audition and get in and I'll pretty much take whatever they give me, to be honest. Do you, do you have an overall sort of motivation of, of what you want to be able to give audiences? I know this might seem sort of like an obvious or dumb question, but, like, do you when you're doing a show or the thing, do you have something that drives you to keep doing this work because you want people to have a certain experience? So my, my drive, I think, is quite selfish for most part because I like to do it. It's a challenge for me to be able to deliver something. But again, that's validated by an audience. So I want them to... It's not, it's not the applause um, that I'm after. I, it's when the audience leaves and when they don't realise it's me playing that character, that's a real big win for me because they haven't realised it's me, which means I've done my job. Mm. Um, for me, that's the validation from the audience or that they've gone away believing some part of that story that I've presented or they've been touched by or it's made them think about um, different aspects of life or commentary of what's going on socially in the world at the time or anything like that um yeah so I think that's what I want them to take away is just to make them think mm. about whatever is the content at the time obviously um whatever message generally most shows have a little message in there for people um but anything um or even if they take away just the drive of maybe wanting to try the arts themselves um which is amazing. Um, so it's not necessarily, for, yeah, for me it's quite selfish, but in a way that I want to inspire the audience to either take it on themselves or inspire them to be better people or more engaged or, yeah, and it depends on the show at the time as well. But, um, yeah, it is a little bit selfish. I don't want all the accolades and things like that when I say I'm selfish, but for me it's just a personal challenge. and um, Or even if I've played a villain, 
if I got booed at the end and no one clapped for me, I'd still feel good because obviously I've done a I've done a good enough job for them to hate me by the end. So you know, like Excellent. I don't I don't need the love, but I just want them to buy into what I've presented them. Yeah, and you're still giving them a a, a valid and interesting experience, yeah. even if. It's making them feel something. Yeah, it's like feeling something. And I think a lot of the time art, people try and present it and they want people to love it and applaud it and things. But sometimes art can make people angry, um, which I think is a valid response as well. Or Mm. if they hate it, that's not saying the art's bad, but you've still evoked some sort of response from people. And it's good because it means that they're thinking for themselves and they're not just taking what you're presenting. Mm. yeah, so I think if you've if you've evoked any emotion at all, frustration, happiness, excitement, sadness, anything, I think that's a win for art. Um, and every and art's subjective, right? So um, not everyone's going to love it. Some people will find a sad moment in there; they'll leave crying, or someone will leave laughing, someone will leave angry. Um, but it's all valid, um, and to expect the same response out of an audience um, for performances. Um, I don't think is a <laughs> is a is a wise wise I don't know uh, thought, but yeah, just just getting that response out of them. Um, and if you got no emotional response whatsoever from that person, I think from a person, I think that's when maybe it's failed as art. But <laughs> or most, just, or just not for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But but again, that that you've stirred something in them. Um, yeah. But yeah, I. I don't know, I just, I think it's all valid and that's art. Um, I think people lose sight of um, what they want people to feel from art. It's not always just happy happiness. Um, it can be quite cathartic for people to come to a show and have a good cry and absolutely yeah. um, leave and you might not be happy, but, you know, it's, it's, still, it's still a good, good thing for that for that person possibly they might have needed to get that out so it's like something that you've helped them with just having a good a good cry in the dark with you know a few hundred people around them and (laughs) (laughs) very human experience yeah yeah yeah. and you're all and it's people experiencing things together i think that's really important it's the difference between watching a movie on the couch at home to being in a room with four or five hundred people and experiencing the same work of art together i think that's something that can never be replaced whether it be online or um, visually, like movies, obviously serve a purpose, um, but live theatre is just—it's—it's it's a shared experience, and every night's different. You're not going to put them on the same movie. Different things happen in the production. You get a different vibe from the room you're sitting in with mm. the audience. Um, yeah, because I think something about experiencing a performance as a group intensifies that experience as well. Like I know that I've <clears throat> gone to a seen a movie at the movies and found it hilarious because everyone was laughing and then I've watched it later and been like, that's that's kind of funny. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think when, and too, when the art's being presented by people, you have more of that connection as a human being to another human being. Um, With a screen, you sort of have that little bit Mm. of disconnection, Mm. but you're actually seeing real people go through the story and hopefully you forget that you're just watching a show. Hmm. Um, and you get suckered into the to the story and watch these humans go on their little journey together, um, and you're right there in the room with them when it happens. It's not disconnected in a different. So you're smelling what they're smelling, and you're seeing what they're seeing, and you're getting the sweat flicked out into the audience onto you from. <laughs> the- <laughs> 
Yeah, where a movie is sort of quite disconnected from the worlds and it's, it's detached yeah. and yeah. Yeah, it's still enjoyable. I love movies, so don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're going to run out of time, so very, very quickly, tell everyone what's going on with the new initiative that you and Alexis are doing. Okay, so the place. Um, Alexis Holmes and I are uh, in the process of taking over a really fabulous space in Hamilton. Um, it's a big space with a sprung wooden floor that's amazing for dancing and rehearsals. Uh, and we want to make it a community art space, basically. Um, we want to be the Switzerland of arts, the neutral zone in Hamilton, um, and we want to bring all to, like, just not performing arts, but um, other, not just musical theatre, I should say, but all performing arts and visual arts and written and, like, basically the whole arts community together to make somewhat of a hub so we can get a bit more of... Um, connection and interweaving between the different art forms because I think that's really important um, for people to come together and maybe visual artists might realise that there might be things that they can contribute to the performing arts and vice versa, performing arts may be able to help. Um, but I just think getting these communities together because it is a little bit segregated. So that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, so rehearsal space for community groups, um, it's, it's going to do a lot of things. I don't know. <laughs> and if, it's very hard to quickly sum it all up together. And if people are excited by what they're hearing, then they can they contribute can, to yes. help make it happen? Yes, we've got a boosted campaign at the moment. So you can head onto the boosted website um, and you'll see the place. It's a nice little pink photo with our faces on it, so you won't be able to miss it. We've got a few days left on the campaign. Um, yeah, so, but if you want to donate, but otherwise... Um, Go to Facebook and look for the Place Community Art Space on Facebook and you can like that for all the updates of what's happening. Um, there will be lots of other work you can do if you can't donate financially. You can share it around to people or you can support the space once we're up and running, um, whether that's physically or mentally or, <laughs> or <laughs> yeah, anything like that. Um, there will be lots of stuff for the community to come together and have some conversations and get together and, yeah. Exciting stuff. Acti activate some more arts together. Yeah. Thanks heaps for being here. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. This show has been broadcast on Free FM 89.0 and is brought to you by Creative Waikato. Have a great day. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.